bringing the outdoors to your ears. This is Ramble On by Drift, a student publication at the University of Texas. Welcome back to our new and old drifters alike. I'm your host and co-director of this podcast, Elizabeth Jimenez. After a year-long hiatus, Ramble On is back with your next fix of crazy adventure stories. Today's theme, that really happened. These are the stories that make you inspired to get out there and explore all the world has to offer. They make you say, even though I can't swim, maybe I can row across an ocean. Or maybe it makes you question what you're doing with your life. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Either way, we hope these stories light a fire inside of you and make you excited for your next adventure. But before we get into what it takes to row across an ocean, climb an 8,000-foot tall mountain past retirement age, and the impact of exploring with the people you love, we'll hear from the Drift podcast team on what it meant to cover these stories. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. I'm a third-year journalism major. Hi, I'm Dacia. I'm a third-year journalism major. Hi, I'm Marina. I'm a third-year communication and leadership major. Hi, I'm James. I'm a third-year philosophy major. Why do you think it was important that we covered these stories? I feel like I'm not really a risk taker when it comes to life. And so hearing all these people have these like super cool experiences that are really unique just because they, you know, stepped out of their comfort zone. That kind of inspired me, I guess, especially with your grandma, Marina, because she was talking a lot about UT rec sports. And I was like, that's something we have right here on campus. If I wanted to, I could totally just walk up to them, join and like go whitewater rafting or something. Also going off of that, I'm also the type of person to like count myself out. Like we'll be like, no, like eh, I'm not gonna do it, whatever. And we were also talking about this the other day. Like we have so much time, and like here we are, just kind of like chilling or whatever, which is fine. But you know, there's like so much out there, so it's like may as well go see it. Totally, I feel like it's a lot of things that I'm like, oh, that'd be so cool to do, but like I don't have the time, or like that's too intimidating, or I'm not in shape enough to you know do that, but. It's kind of one of those things you kind of have to be like, well, why not? James, are you the type of person to like say yes to everything? I try to be. It's it's hard to actually follow through with that. Like it's fun to think that you can do it, but like Marina said, time, ability to do it, it's hard. I feel like the Mount Olympus story was very important to tell because of the accessibility she talked about that we have here on campus because like you were saying earlier it's like yeah we want to do all these things but it's kind of expensive to just be like oh i'm gonna go climb this like random mountain out of the country and like go pay for a flight go pay for a hotel buy all the equipment and her telling that story really emphasized how important it is to have that accessibility here at ut and like how affordable it is for like everyone to go do that stuff without having to worry about the cost yeah totally that's one thing that i didn't kind of expect to get out of that story you know when we were talking about it it was more just going to be about the story of like that climb and that whole trip um for mount olympus but i thought that was a really cool thing that she brought into it it's also nice because i feel like in the environmental nature outdoorsy realm like you know a lot of people they're like oh yeah like i went on all these trips when i was younger and like i go every year and blah 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 and that's not really something like i experienced but like i still had this sort of love for nature and like the outdoors so yeah i guess it's just nice knowing that even though not everything is accessible like there still are these opportunities or even if you go on like a hike like somewhere in austin it's just a nice way to i guess like bridge the gap between like accessibility and stuff and like going out there which is again just a nice reminder 
I think what they all have in common is that they are inspiring, right? At the very least, all four of us in this room literally said we want to do these things now. It's, it's great. <laughs>
especially like right out of college costs was um, a big inhibitor, but also just like understanding what I was going through. You know, there's a lot on, on Instagram or like on social media. It's like, oh, if you are feeling like this, like this is what you have and like self-diagnosing and kind of kind of just like BS flying around, uh, which is cool that people can relate to other people's struggles, but also um, it's hard to really know what's credible. Sophia shares that the team met with a Toltec guide beforehand to help them better prepare for the mental hardships they'd face on their journey. We really talked about kind of when you look for when you are seeking kind of help or strength from a higher power to understand that that's actually within you. You don't have to worry about um, if you're going to do the right thing because it's already embedded in who you are. And if you actually just, you know, let yourself be, then everything will work out. And I think that that was a big thing because when you're doing an ocean crossing, there's so much that's outside of your control that being able to just be and trust the process and trust yourself is really important to your sanity and happiness. The group of rowers were highlighted all over social media throughout their journey, but Sophia says they had no idea how many people were impacted by their story until the ride was over. She says the only news they got while out at sea was the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I think it's really cool to be able to share my story, and I think that, you know, the only news that we got while we were out there was the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and I think that for women to kind of see this story of other women doing something on their own terms and, you know, doing what, what's right for them with their body, whether or not other people agree with them, was really powerful. As a fellow rower, Sarah says there's a lot to be taken from Lat 35's journey. Just goes to show, like, you can do anything that you put your mind to, like, as long as you're determined. And it's just a really cool story about people doing these really fascinating, like, once-in-a-life things. And it just, I really just think that it just is really inspirational and kind of aspirational too. just like do what you really want. Like if there's something that you want to do that you've been dreaming about, like do it, try it. Sophia's team was Lat 35's first all women rowing team and broke the record for the time it took to cross the Atlantic Ocean. It's actually a really big deal. I think it really just spoke to the power of like the trust and communication and just of kind of the, you can do whatever you want if you set your mind to it attitude, but um, trying to make that like as unglamorous as possible. Like it, it involves a lot of sacrifice. It involves a lot of like days that aren't fun where you're just like sitting and learning. It was really this opportunity to do something totally on our own terms. And once we were out there to do something free of, of anyone else telling us how to do what to do, it was totally up to us. And I hope that other women can see like that you can learn to do whatever it is that you want to do. It's, it's not gonna be fun all the time, it's not easy, but super worth it. Some of the audio used in this segment is courtesy of the Great Pacific Race. For Ramble On, I'm Dacia Garcia. Next, we'll hear from Marina Kugler. She reminds us that you're never too old to take on a new adventure. And maybe we should listen to the stories our grandparents tell us a million times. You'll never know what new things you'll find out. The muses were calling to me, leave the halls of academia with the empty word. Come and join us. You'll find inspiration, passion, and fulfillment. Memories, places, and people were calling to me, were rushing to me. Uh, from the past and the present. 
wanted to be heard, to be spoken of, to be remembered. I did remember them, and I did give them a place in my life. On Mount Olympus, with Calliope, Zeus, Dionysius, uh, we toasted to literally, we toasted to poetry and drank ambrosia from golden goblet. Kaki Scala, Mitica, the summit, uh, music of the, of the heavens. Beware of Neptune, low way down there into the luring you into the kingdom of his blue sea, way down below. The gods and the muses, the spirit of my ancestor, welcomed me. And when it was time to descend, guided by the soul, by the celebrated present, I took the mountain, I took the, the crime, with, I took the memories with them to my earthly world and made them mine. The poem you just heard was written by Maria Wells, reflecting on her climb up Mount Olympus in the year 2000. This writing lives in her recent publication, Images in the Clouds, Reading the Sky. Dr. Maria Wells spent her career as a professor in the French and Italian department at the University of Texas and was a curator of the Italian collection at the Harry Ransom Center. She is a poet, lifetime adventurer, and my grandmother. Mount Olympus stands as the highest mountain in Greece with an elevation of 9,570 feet. Located north of Athens, it's a central piece of Greek mythology as the home of the gods and throne of Zeus. Maria remembers this climb as a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So in the morning, he got me up at 4 o'clock, and then we started going. And he said, we'll go first on this side, which is called Kakiskala, bed stairway. Okay, so we we walk up there, you know, climb yet. It was really precipitous. You could see the case on one side and another, but it was possible, was still could handle easily. And then when we came back down, we stopped at the edge of this chasm, and I could see the beginning of the climb for the last stop, Metica. It is like you put a book between where we were and the other place, and we were supposed to walk on the spine of the book. It was really scary. So to me, all the other mountains were possible, but this one was scary. So for the time that it took us to go to the base of Mitika, I didn't look at anything else except his red jacket, <laughs> you know. And then we got to the very top, which is called Mitika, which is fantastic. I mean, it, I mean, you get a feeling that just don't get any other way. Oh yeah, and he told me to wear jeans and put my climbing gloves because the rocks are very sharp. You don't want to fall on it. And he said, yeah, it is like Jupiter throwing thunderbolt, you know, so this rock was volcanic. Okay, so when we got to the top, it was exhilarating. Maria says that as exhilarating of a climb as it was, she almost quit when she got closer to the book spine leading up to the top of the mountain. I almost gave up. And I said, but where do we have to go? And I cannot describe it another way. It was so narrow. And we had really to put one foot on foot in front of the other. So that was the scary part. And then realizing I had to go back the same way. <laughs> so that was the moment which I'd almost give up. And I said, no, 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 you don't give up. When asking Maria what the best part of the climb was, this is what she said. <laughs> Getting there safely. But the feeling 
that I was where the Greek god lived and the feeling that this is the land of my ancestor, you know. So I asked, if I wonder, funny part, I asked the guide, aren't you going to offer me an ambrosian in golden goblet? <laughs> he said, sorry, the gold are not around. So, <laughs> no. But it was a feeling of accomplishment, of exhilaration, of pure happiness. After the tedious climb, Maria reflects on what it felt like to reach Midikas, the highest peak of Mount Olympus. I felt I had drunk all the ambrosia that existed in the, in the heaven of the, of the God. I mean, I felt, yeah, like having drunk the bottle of champagne. I did this sense of exhilaration. I'm here on the mountains of the God, for heaven's sake. And I said, you know, maybe both the God and my ancestor might have helped me. They must have helped me because I got here safely. Yeah. But I'm happy I did it because never again I could have that experience. I mean, the, the fourteen in Colorado, the mountain in Italy, it was negotiable. I was, well, except for the solo climb, of course. But that, that too, I was familiar with it. Uh, but uh, Mount Olympus was different. Yes, it was. <laughs> Maria grew up in northeast Italy in a city called Trieste. Immersed in the region's natural beauty, Maria fell in love with adventure from a young age. Both my parents, in fact, my parents met at a ski race. And all of our life, I mean, that's what they emphasized. We spent the weekend going either climbing or skiing or whatever. So it was very much a family tradition. When I was five years old, I decided I was ready to start to climb. And so I was going up, you know, and I had this picture, I look happy. And my mother was like, what are you doing to my child? No, mama, don't worry, I'm going up. So that was my first experience. During her 40 years at the University of Texas, Maria's adventurous spirit led her to UT Rec Sports, where she went on many trips around Texas. Rec Sports organizes adventure trips for students, provides materials, and is open to all students and faculty. She highlights the importance of these resources as a way to explore and enhance the college experience. Well, yes, I wanted to say something that is very important, that the UT Rexport Outdoors Adventure saved my sanity. Because in academia, sometimes you go through some periods that are very stressful. Maria remembers talking with her daughter before going on her first trip with Rexports to the Rio Grande. Running the rapid on the Rio Grande, I think I should do that. And she said, you have never been in a canoe in your life. Well, it's about about time I start. I can't wait too long, you know. So that's what I did with the, with the UT Export, running the rapid on the Rio Grande. Oh my God, that was something. That was fantastic. Maria's daughter and my mom, Sandra Kugler, reflects on her takeaways from her mother's adventures. My mother is an amazing person who's inspired many people with her energy, her enthusiasm, and her intellect. And an important takeaway from her story is don't let people tell you you can't do something. Keep trying and enjoy life. As students at the University of Texas, Maria encourages us to get out there and go explore. Hit the trail <laughs> and, you know, do the river rapid on the Rio Grande. Go backpacking in the canyon. Just discover this wonderful, wonderful world of nature, ancient civilization. It's wonderful, really. 
For Ramble On, I'm Marina Kugler. In the next segment, we'll look at the ways our adventures shape us and how we hold on to them forever. I first met Professor Dalby my freshman year of college in fall of 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic raised John and people struggled adjusting to online classes. Dalby's class was a foundational course for journalism, and it wasn't what I expected. I held an eagerness to start reporting stories, but that's not what Dalby's class was about. It was a class about learning from experiences and the challenges that come with them. And some experiences in life stay with us forever. You know, at the end of the day, I don't know where you end up, but maybe you end up, I think I said in class, you know, you end up with this kind of necklace. You're wearing this necklace on which, you know, each one of these experiences you've had is a different bead. And maybe even if you don't come up with some grand unified field theory of the universe, you've still got all of those different experiences that have made your life richer. For those of you who don't recognize his voice, this is Tracy Dalby. He's a recently retired journalism professor from the University of Texas. And for us journalism folks at UT, he's a legend. Dalby had done work for National Geographic and The Washington Post, usually doing stories on current events in Asia. Over six feet tall with a deep voice and an iconic reputation, Dalby is a hard man to forget even for the students and staff who worked with him over 10 years ago. Yeah, there's like this intimidating, like, oh my God, this guy's like, you know, one of the most accomplished and, and well-traveled journalists who's just full of the most interesting stories you could ever possibly imagine hearing uh, from just the farthest corners of the world. So like sitting down at a table and immediately just kind of, you know, this like voice of God, like seemingly just like, like comes from the other side of the table and like just like lays you flat on the floor and like you're just like going to listen and learn. This is Ryland Barton. He was a student of Dalby's during a study abroad trip in China in 2011. Barton says that while at first glance Dalby can be intimidating, first impressions aren't always right. It's almost a facade. It's almost a character. But I think when it comes down to it, he's just like a good person who like loves other people and wants to like, like wants to bring them in. And if he has the chance, especially with a student or something, he really wants to teach them and like help them carry on whatever this mission is like into the into the future. Avery Holton, a teaching assistant on the same trip to China as Barton, appreciates Dalby's passion for sharing his joy in storytelling and getting out there. He was trying to help people tell stories, whether they were their own stories or stories of others, like to really help them realize that. And the, the magic of the China trip was, even though it was brief, there were several students on that trip who um, I had the opportunity to watch sort of blossom into these amazing storytellers who either came out of their shells or found some magic stream that hadn't been there before that he was able to pull out of them. For Dalby, his love for people and their stories started with childhood friends in the streets of Seattle. One of my one of my close friends in those days was Clark Keto. And, uh, you know, we played baseball together and we'd ride our bikes together. And uh, but when I went over to his house, you know, his mother told us Japanese fairy tales. 
and she let me in the kitchen she let me try out seaweed and bamboo shoot and i think that really kind of uh sparked my imagination Dalby's curiosity followed him to college in the 1970s where he studied japan regional studies but he learned something else outside of the classroom that stuck with him members of his childhood friends family had been in japanese internment camps in world war ii one time around Christmas time, one of the uncles brought some super or some eight millimeter footage that he'd shot in camp. And of course it was, uh, you know, it depicted their life in an internment camp where uh, American, you know, American citizens were being held behind barbed wire because of their ethnicity. These were the stories of people he had Sunday dinners with people who added color to his world. Well, these were people that I knew and loved. And, you know, when you're a little kid, you you can remember in your own lives some of those friendships that you had when you were seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, You know, that was your world, and those relationships were very meaningful. And so these stories that affected the lives of my friends' families somehow seemed very important to me. Naturally curious, Dalby was left with a question after hearing these stories. You know, the full impact of that didn't register with me immediately, but I did wonder why I'd never heard this story before. You know, why I'd never read about it in the newspaper or why I never heard people talking about it. I also hoisted on board that the world is full of mysteries right around us every day. You know, and then gradually I made the connection that one of the things that a journalist does uh, is to try to bring those mysteries to the light of day and to get to the bottom of them. And so his adventures began. His travels led him to eating sandworms in China, docking a boat with an army of soldiers in Indonesia, and making unexpected acquaintances in Bali. So I had uh, one of these bungalows, which was really designed for honeymooners. But, you know, I was a middle-aged journalist trying to get my work done, and everything was very dark. And then nature called. So I went to the, the bathroom, and the toilet was outside. It was, there was a glass door. And when I opened the glass door, there was this very large, multicolored lizard that looked to me like a dinosaur. And so I slammed the door shut. So I I tried to figure out what I could do, and I I started singing uh, the Star Spangled Banner at the top of my lungs. I think the people in the other bungalows might have thought, like, what the hell is going on? And then I I opened the door, and the, the, the lizard was still there. So I slammed the door again. You know, eventually the lizard left and I was able to go on about my business. But that's the kind of thing that you, you know, you don't expect to meet a dinosaur on your way to the bathroom. Dalby shared his love for adventure with students and staff at UT, like Rylan and Avery. Avery, who worked with Dalby on the China trip, says his experiences with Dalby always left him speechless. And a lot of it was me just tagging along with Tracy on these, like, strange side adventures that seem to happen daily. Like the weirdest things would happen um, with he and I. 
every day. And those were the stories, right? And so a little bit of it was hearing the stories he had to tell. And then some of it was living the stories with him, right? Like thinking this, what we're living right now sounds like a story that you would tell someone um, or that he would tell someone. And sometimes crazy stories start with trying to find good Texas barbecue in China. And around that same time, uh, Tracy prided himself on finding this Texas barbecue place. It was very Texas themed inside. So everything you could imagine Texas, but we stayed so long that when we decided to leave, when we were leaving, we got caught in this weird sort of time zone where um, we couldn't walk back because it was about two or three miles and it was dark. And every pedicab, there were tons of pedicabs going around, wanted what was like the equivalent of like 50 or $60 from us to go three miles. So we were getting kind of ripped off. Stranded in Beijing, they had to find another way to get back home. But luckily, their way home was driving right towards them. And this tiny little car pulls up and it's a dark vehicle and there's loud music playing, like electronic dance music playing. And the window, the window just slowly rolls down. And Tracy and I kind of looked at each other and we both bent over, but Tracy had to sort of crane himself over because he's so tall. And the guy inside said, um, do you need a ride? And Tracy said, well, are you a taxi? And the guy said, I can be. <laughs> we, we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay. So we, I told him where we were going and he said, yeah, get in. And to get into this car, I mean, Tracy had to like angle his legs in first and then sort of bend his body in and contort. And we get inside and it's like uh, pink, like, I don't even know, fur, but it's also dark. And he's got some sort of um, electronic dance music cued up to lights in the car. So they're like going off and the lights are happening. And I remember looking over at Tracy thinking this, this can't be fun, but he had this funny little smile on his face. Um, and the guy just took off and we were going, I, I can't even remember like what the dash said, but at some point we were going like 80, 90 miles an hour. Like we were on Grand Theft Auto. And Tracy was just holding on to the sidebar laughing the entire time and I thought and we pull up to where we were staying and we climb out and you know Tracy has to unfold himself out of the vehicle and I'm thinking this guy's gonna ask us for like 50 or 60 bucks and in my memory as we walked around to the side the window went down again and we asked the guy you know how much do we owe you and he said did you have a good time and we both looked at each other again and we were like, yeah, yeah, we think so. And the window just went back up slowly and he took off. Like we never paid him. He didn't want any money or anything. Avery says that no matter how unbelievable his experiences felt, he's grateful he holds these memories. There have to be like a half dozen things that don't seem real in retrospect that happened, at least for Tracy and I, if not everyone, while we were there. And, and a lot of it's because he put us in the position to have those stories or to be able to have those memories and to, to share those. Dalby feels the same. He says that the stories from his adventures mean more to him than numbers on a paycheck. You know, that maybe as journalists, we're not going to earn a lot of money. The thing that we get out of it are these, are the stories, are the adventures that we have, are the 
are the funny and unfunny things that happen that don't happen to other people. And as a journalist, there are some stories that are hard to forget. I mean, I was thinking the other day about, you know, meeting Mamie Till Mobley, uh, the, the mother of Emmett Till, who was murdered by, you know, murdered in Money, Mississippi in 1950, what was it, 55? And how, I mean, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and I was thinking how lucky I was to be able to meet Mamie and to have her tell me her story and to meet Wheeler Parker, the cousin who was with Emmett the night the men came to get him. If you stick with this job long enough, you're going to meet you're going to meet interesting people and, uh, and you're going to be able to share those stories. As one of my friends says, you know, it makes you bigger than what you are. Dalby reminds us that life is a shared experience. The Clark Ketos and taxi drivers with speakers blasting electronic dance music shape us in ways we don't always realize. But if we wear these experiences like a necklace full of beads, we might see the world in a different light. I don't think my life would be as rich. These experiences have, you know, helped shape me as a person. And uh, without them, I, you know, both the positive, both the negative and the positive, because you always learn something. And, you know, you learn something about the way the world works. If you're lucky, you learn a little bit about yourself. From Ramalan, I'm Elizabeth Jimenez. This has been Ramalan by Drift Magazine. Title music by Alejandra Gavilanes. Music from Blue Dot Sessions and Mark Hagner on YouTube. Audio courtesy of the Great Pacific Race. Written, edited, and produced by Elizabeth Jimenez, Dacia Garcia, and Marina Kugler. We hope you enjoyed listening to these stories, and we hope you find your next adventure soon. Mm-hmm.